Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. We're two colorful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Karen. Hey, Eve. How's it going? It's going. I, you know, went through a whole round of trying to get my therapist covered through Kaiser. And instead of waiting two to four months for her to enroll in something that is named the same thing as my current insurance, I have to wait five to ten days for the other insurance. And then hopefully they'll give me a code and then I can have therapy again because I talked to someone on the phone and I was like, I just feel like not having therapy for two to four months is a bad idea right now. Yeah, that sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. How have you been? Well, a raccoon got two of my chickens, so that was sad. No. Uh, it was traumatic. I'm going to get two more tomorrow. I feel better about it. I got a more secure coop set up now. Uh, and then I finished my summer class, finished teaching, got grades in, feel like a huge load off, slept a little bit, and have spent this week like dealing with the chicken situation and uh, gardening a whole ton and repotting all my houseplants. So feeling like a a halfway human again. Yay, I have houseplant news. I like put my last lavender in the click and grow thing that I have because I was like, I guess my quarantine learning thing will be gardening. (laughs) And it is taking off. There are flowers and it's like, like, it's basically outgrowing the click and grow. And so now I need to figure out how to put it into something bigger maybe i don't know but it's not dead which is a first for me so i'm very excited about this new prospect oh that's awesome i'm so glad well we have a special special guest today i'm very excited to introduce my mother uh coming on here you want to introduce yourself mom hi my name's eileen i am eve's mom as well as the mom of her eight siblings and I am uh, I guess I survived my homeschooling years and have had to reinvent myself and go back to former passions I work as a nurse and work among um, low-income and immigrant population which I love and just finished up a master's certificate at the university in town which is really cool amazing and we're going to celebrate that and your birthday this weekend when you come out. I'm Yay! so excited. Yay! That is super exciting. You have big plans for taking over the world of public health, I hear. Yeah, exactly. We're going to conquer it. <laughs> Nationalize the healthcare <laughs> system for sure. I will, I will sign all of your petitions and whatever. I'm here for this. I guarantee you, like, in 10 years, she's going to be running for office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can, you can like, overnight those uh, ballot papers to California, and I will send it okay. back after I sign it. Sounds Perfect. Good. <laughs> we'll do it. My life has been getting, getting signatures lately, because my partner is also running for office. Ah, so you know it up close and personal. Yep. You have actually like a funny comment about that, don't you? Because you're you're you feel like you're reliving some former dreams. Yeah, it's weird because I've I've always been interested in in politics, and that's how I like got started writing and doing everything when I was a teenager. Because my parents were like, "Well, you can't run for office because you're a girl, and you can't be an authority over any man." 
And I was like, well, then I guess I will just study how to campaign well so I can, like, be the campaign manager and get whoever elected. And <laughs> now I feel like I, it's come full circle because now my partner is running for office and I'm like, I know how to do this. I have put <laughs> a lot of thought into, like, how I wanted to be a supportive person for people running campaigns and how to organize and so I've been I've been doing a bunch of signature gathering for her petition and it's it's a weird like it feels really good because I feel very prepared for this like the most prepared I felt for anything in my life because I spent so long <laughs> thinking about it and uh -huh. now I get to just do it and I'm like okay so it turns out I did prepare for something and that's helpful. High school was useful in one way. <laughs> it was. That's really awesome. That's really awesome. It's so good. So, uh, Mama, we've got some questions from listeners, and we have some questions from us. I think a nice warm-up one would be the one I'm most scared of. <laughs> I'm so is... excited about it. <laughs> uh, they want to know what your most on-brand story about Baby Eve is. Hmm. Um, I, I could probably ponder longer and come up with something better but this one came to mind because you were really a baby you were like toddler running around the nursery at church and there was another toddler who was one of those sweet little dumpling babies that hardly moved and you, <laughs> and you gave her a full-on bear hug and her mother's like oh that was really rather aggressive <laughs> friendly Outgoing, affectionate, <laughs> from the get. I never would yeah. put the word aggressive on it myself, but that's how she interpreted it. <laughs> I am constantly having to explain to people that, like, I'm not really trying to be argumentative or attack you. I'm just really passionate and excited. Sorry. Yeah, my second story was how many questions from the backseat I got between the ages of two and four just, boy, you just never stopped. Always, always, always a question. <laughs> I remember you and Dad telling me that uh, I was some sort of, like, karmic punishment as a child because you guys were both such introverts and I just, like, wanted to talk to everyone and it was embarrassing for you. That's right. The lady in line <laughs> behind me, the, the guy at the checkout, everybody, everybody, everybody was your friend. <laughs> Look, I was made for Twitter before Twitter existed. That's right. <laughs> you had a lot of practice before Twitter, which is why you're so good at Twitter. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to be everyone's friend. Uh, I was worried you were going to tell the ballet and the balcony story, but that works too. <laughs> Wait, yes, now I, I want to know the story. No. <laughs> <laughs> the short version is, I was really uncouth. <laughs> 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 so okay I, okay I can tell what I remember of it and then you can like chip in if you want but the way I remember it was I was in the like the chorus line for the Sleeping Beauty ballet I, I must have been like eight nine smaller probably maybe six <sighs> or seven Okay, so it was after the after the first recital where I picked my nose. This was the next year. <laughs> um, I like how that's how we remember recitals. <laughs> I picked my nose in the middle of the recital on stage, in the middle of the stage. <laughs> you know what kids do. 
So it was the next, it was the next year's like big performance. And there was a group of girls and we're hanging out in the green room playing heads up, seven up and all sorts of games. We're just so bored. And cause we had like one, like three minute song in like a two hour performance. Torture. And it was rough. And something was going on. So like you didn't come to the performance or you had come to like the first night. Yeah, I think they charged us. I mean, it was crazy. So dad came to pick me up. He saw the performance, brought me like a couple carnations and then like just had to stop by the store to get ice cream on the way home. But like he was late getting to either pick me up or to the performance itself. I actually don't remember if he saw the show. But I just remember he was late to pick me up at the, like, stage door. And I was bored, and the, like, entire auditorium was empty, and my friends and I were bored, and just, like, we'd been stir-crazy for hours. And the balcony had this, like, little cut-through where you could see into the, like, foyer and into this, like, hallway into the doors to get into the auditorium. And so we went up into the balcony to, like, look through this cut-through down into the hall to see if we could spot our parents, like, coming through. As you do. And instead, what ended up happening is someone decided it was a great idea to see if we could hit the bald guy on the head with spit. (laughs) 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 And I don't know whose idea that was, but I was... I was uh, held responsible as if it was my idea. No, it was actually, it was definitely my idea. Um, I did hit him, and I also got someone's cleavage, and I feel really embarrassed about it, but also really kind of pleased at my aim. Yeah, like that, that's actually really impressive, honestly. (laughs) So gross. Just so gross. And, like, he, like, walks up behind me in the balcony and is like, what are you doing? I just about like shat myself. I was so freaked. <laughs> and like he like was like, I'm not giving you these. And he'll he's holding these carnations and he's like, these are going to your mom instead. <laughs> and like we go to the ice the store to get ice cream on the way home and we're just like silent, not talking to each other. And he like is like gets the ice cream and he's like, you're also not having any of this. <laughs> <Go home. laughs> I was not sorry. Yeah, it was a long time to sit backstage. I really kind of wondered about that. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I did ballet, I had one of one of those days when I was, like, not doing worship dance and I was doing proper ballet. And they had, like, a two-hour performance. And my song was, like, in the middle of the two-hour performance, but I had to wait so long. I was, like, six. Ugh, we definitely yeah. played Heads Up, Seven Up. And, like... I don't even remember what else we did, but there was a lot of being very bored, just waiting. And then we also had, like, the entire group from the, like, ballet school thing that I was a part of had an encore. So after my performance, I had to wait, like, another hour to, like, change my clothes and then go out and do the encore with everybody. Oh, yeah, you have to, like, be there for the, like, final curtain bow. Yeah, yeah. That's... So much waiting. Yeah, it was a lot of waiting for a six-year-old. So much waiting. Ah, okay. So now you've told your own story. (laughs) You told on yourself. (laughs) I did tell on myself. I like telling that story. I, I think it's very funny in terms of like just like where my enthusiasm gets me in trouble sometimes. Mm. It's just bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> Oops, though. <sighs> so, okay, we have a lot of questions for you. Hopefully we can get through some of these before we have to go pick up our brother. Some people want to know, like, how would you describe yourself before you got married and had a family? Slash, how did you come to believe homeschooling and making babies was the way? I've mentioned before that you didn't grow up fundamentalist, but I haven't gotten into that. So I don't think anyone really knows that story. Okay, so um, I was a good student. I was kind of your average person. No, I was really quiet and fairly conservative. I don't know. Um, I became a Christian at 19. And that sort of reintroduced me to church. I still was pursuing my nursing degree. I was really interested in working in a third world country. I actually subscribed to World Health Magazine for a year when I was in in school. And then the church we wound up in actually was a spinoff of Sovereign Grace when I had started dating your father. So all of that vision for homeschooling and family life and husband and wife roles and male and female stuff really came into my life fairly early on when I was still in school. I was kind of old-fashioned. I mean, I used to fantasize that I would I would probably have done better in the Middle Ages. And if I hadn't gotten married, I would have made a very good nun. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I definitely saw myself, like the Peace Corps thing that you wound up doing, I envisioned. And then when I became a Christian, that became, oh, well, I could go be a missionary and do that kind of stuff. And then, of course, we got married and it was babies and homeschooling. So, did that answer your question? Sort of. Um, was there, like, what what convinced you that homeschooling and, and Quiverful were kind of the way to go? For me, I think it was more of a sense that uh, I think having kids is a really amazing thing to do. It's It's a miracle. And I just never personally felt, it may have been years of Catholic school sort of seeping in, though they were never very pushy. I was in California and they were pretty liberal. Just that the ability to create life was really an amazing gift. And I had a couple friends who couldn't get pregnant and saw the suffering that, that was there and that. And so it was really kind of more of a, well, you know, I think if God wants to give us children, that's a blessing, then let's receive his blessing. So it wasn't really very hard for me to accept that theology. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was sort of a growth point later on when I discovered that, you know, some other women had a lot more trouble with pregnancies or really couldn't handle a big family emotionally. And to accept that what was okay for me might not be okay for someone else. Hmm. Right. And in terms of homeschooling, then, you know, my my childhood experiences in public school, I had really been bullied quite a bit. And I think your dad had also been bullied. So the thought that we could give you a safer, uh, more nurturing place to learn was very appealing. Plus the schools where we were stunk. <laughs> Fair. There was a moment in fourth grade where I remember you 
like wanting to put me in school. Yeah, it was the year I had one of your sisters in the middle of the school year. And I was teaching another one to read. And you were just bright as a whip. And I thought, you know, maybe we, I had sort of started at thinking we would reevaluate from year to year. And so I proposed the possibility that maybe you could go to private school that year since I was having this baby in December. And um, I don't know if the motivation was financial or if your father was really persuaded homeschooling was better, but he pretty much said, nope, we're homeschooling. And being a good submissive wife, I accepted that. Mm. There, there were a couple push points, I think, starting high school, some, some places along the line where it was really challenging. And it, but it did take me a really long time after we had moved out of that state to one with better public schools to think, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to let mm-hmm. someone go to school. So kind of as a, a little bit of a follow-up on that, one of our listeners asks, was there a change of thought or belief that let you move away from the evangelical worldview? I ask because I'm always searching for tools to pull people out of that cesspool. And I think evangelical here is used in the sense of like more hardcore fundamentalist right. evangelicals. Um, well, I think there's a couple of of aspects to that for me because I grew up so close to Berkeley, California and went to school in San Francisco. I mean, I grew up around hippies. Um, I grew up around other worldviews and cultures. So in some sense, I was... I accepted the evangelical worldview and lifestyle, but it wasn't really my heritage so much. The church we wound up at really wound up teaching my kids that they were sinners. And they didn't know the love of God. And when I realized that's where we'd wound up, I was very disturbed by that because that was not the God I knew. And that was not the God I wanted to give to my family Um, And it was actually your own search and talking about the more traditional church setting that you had wound up in. I don't know if you want me to use Mm -hmm. specifics. And you can talk about it. I I went Anglican for a little bit. So when you were in that Anglican setting, you know, we were in the process of pulling out of that church that we were at, that Sovereign Grace Church, and looking for an alternative. And basically what you said was, you know, it's not all dependent on the pastor giving a good sermon for an hour. And you talked about the balance between the worship elements, which included worship by music, but there were other elements of worship, the reading of scriptures, and then communion. And if the sermon was bad, it was a portion of the whole church thing. It wasn't the whole Sunday morning. And it also was a lot less dependent on the personality and influence of the pastor. And those things really resonated for me. Plus, that was my my personal heritage. Um, Prior to the age of five, my parents took me to an Episcopal church, which I loved. And so the whole thing for me just came together. And it's like a big breath of fresh air and some balance to things. Yeah. Yeah. That, I remember you being really happy to make that. Shift. Yeah. And, and the other part about that is 
you know, the, the heritage and traditions that are there, it just, it seemed like the evangelical ultimately rests so much on who's leading the particular church and the particular teachers are given so very much authority and direction over people. It's a little bit scary to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Familiar speaking, with this. <laughs> speaking of, we spent a lot of time in our last episode talking about, I mentioned this to you, um, Danny and Grace Lavery, who Danny's father is the pastor at Menlo Park in Oakland, which is a mega church. San Francisco. San Francisco, sorry. Menlo Park is actually down by Stanford. It's down the bay a little bit from San Francisco, but okay. <laughs> Okay, so it's a church in Menlo Park. It's a mega church, and and his he and his partner Grace, they're both trans, and his dad is the the mega church pastor, and they've stayed like very very close with his family. And I think I told you the story where it came out recently that the family had been keeping a secret from him about his little brother being predisposed to pedophilia, and hadn't acted on it or claimed he hadn't acted on it, but had like confided in his father and his sister and his mother, but they'd kept it from Danny and allowed him to go and do children's ministry work, basically youth work, missions, trips, coaching, a a Frisbee team, et cetera, as like a way of like therapeutic exposure and when they found out that the secret had been kept and this was going on and they, they were, the parents and the family were encouraging this, like, exposure therapy behavior rather than, like, actual therapy and actually, like, removing him from contexts where temptation might be present, it ended up with a, a huge falling out. And the church is not holding the, the pastor accountable and uh, the families ended up severed. And I, one of the things that you and I have seen a lot is, like, especially in sovereign grace ministries, like, parents disowning kids who criticize their moral and ethical practices, especially if it was tied to, like, bad theology. And this this situation is tied to bad theology in that, like, the father has basically said, well, pedophilia is no different than you two being trans or queer, so, you know, you can't judge us or him and our behavior here. And so I wanted to kind of ask you, like, we've seen this happen a lot. You watched this happen in some other families and friends of ours. And you eventually, when it came down to it, when my father was, like, pushing back on my divorce in some intense ways, like, you ended up choosing to have an independent relationship with your children apart from religious ideology. How did you come to that decision? Well, you hit on a lot of different topics in there. Well, for me, (laughs) I'm your mother, and we have a relationship. I wanted to introduce you to my faith. I wanted you to know Jesus and his love. But it's not for me to set the boundaries on what your adult life looks like. And if you haven't got the internal relationship with the Lord that directs your your behavior and biblical ways, then it becomes kind of irrelevant because those things have to come from within because of the Holy Spirit working in your life. 
So for me, with the situation with your divorce, it was a, I mean, you could talk about divorce being a sin, black and white, but, you know, God hates divorce, but God hates a lot of other things. God hates betrayal. God hates cruelty. God hates um, someone taking vows falsely. There are just a lot of other things. And it's very easy to, to cherry pick one thing and say, this is where I'm going to draw the line. But ultimately, my faith was about a relationship with Christ and knowing God. And ultimately, for me, that that's relationship with you as well. It didn't make sense to me to to focus on divorce apart from the circumstances as an idea um, because it was about relationship and the marriage was about your relationship with your then husband. Am I making mm -hmm. any sense? Yeah, you are. Yeah. So um, I have a relationship with you that, that transcends theology and ideas. And, and behaviors. <laughs> the other thing I would, I would say there is a lot of, sorry, you really hit on so many it's things okay. in your description of the situation. So the sorry. whole mental it's, health, it's a, it is a whole lot. The whole mental health aspect. Okay. When we put people in little boxes and say men are this and women are that, and these are the only options for your behavior and interactions that messes with people <laughs> because people are, people are people and, and there's a, a spectrum of what that means. And I can remember uh, one of our friends talked about his wife as a girly girl. Okay. She liked to get her nails done and her hair done and she liked to wear makeup. And, and I said, yeah, but so then what am I? And he said, well, you're a pioneer woman. <laughs> you know, there's a spectrum. Oh, no. <laughs> and mental health, you know, is is when we get the boxes that tight, you, people can't cope because we're not cut out that way. We're people. So yeah. when you say that the husband has to manage the finances in the family because he's the man, but it's obvious the man doesn't know how to manage his money and the wife's got great skills at that. And you insist that he's got to do this job for three bankruptcies. <laughs> and it would be obvious that the solution for them as a couple would be let her manage the finances. You're messing with people. It's just not, it's not healthy. This is not too far removed from your own experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In terms of, um, you know, cutting people off, I mean, things are dear to me, still dear to my heart. It's still hard to be walking in different directions and having different views of things. But you're still my child. You know, and I look at the, the scripture about the, the parable of the prodigal son. You know, that father didn't say, you know, I'm cutting you out of my life forever. Well, the son walked away. The father waited. And whenever he was ready to resume that relationship, that father was there waiting. It was the son that walked away in that situation. It's, it's a parable of the love of a parent for a child. 
the heart of God towards all of us. I do feel very concerned when when someone talks about um, having someone that's feeling inclined toward pedophilia and not getting psychological intervention and being put in a yes, situation yeah. where they need to desensitize. That's just a setup for some really hurtful stuff to happen. It's yeah, it's really ill-advised and foolish. I mean, like, like we've talked a lot about conversion therapy not working and, you know, the, the friend you mentioned whose wife was the girly girl, like he later came out as gay and is living a very happy life with his, his husband. And, you know, like he's, but he was like one of those who went through those experiences and tried to, to pretend it wasn't a thing for so long. And... It's unfortunate that that's a, a predisposition, but to try to change it through exposure is just asking for trouble. Yeah. You should it's acknowledge so it bad. and then stay the fuck away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and get, get the, the help that you need for that. I mean, I, I can't help but think that some element of that has to do with power and control and authority. Oh, Yeah. And yep. those issues need to be addressed for, for there sure. to be any level of healing and maturity to come. But So on the flip side, um, when kids decide to go no contact because parents are abusive, what would you like? I know a lot, a lot of parents have trouble understanding that decision making process. And sometimes it's because of too much intensity and needing to take some time away. And sometimes it's like a you you are not a healthy individual and I need you to not have access to certain things. What would you say to parents of kids who whose kids have done that? Um, I think that there, there needs to be some patience, self-examination. Um, there's a real... I mean, the whole parenting model that I was given in the homeschooling community and the churches we were in was very much based on authority and control. And I have seen parents have trouble recognizing their young adults as adults and still trying to exert that kind of parental control over them mm -hmm. um, and not allowing them to become adults. So... You know, there's some soul searching on that front. I think I would refer you also to the, I think it was 40 pages that Reb Bradley wrote about what had gone wrong with homeschooling and his family out there in oh, California. Oh, yeah, that was a huge moment when that came out. I forgot about that. Yeah, so he's got some pretty good nuggets in there about wanting your children to become certain things and trying to mold them into certain things and not enjoying them in the process. And not, again, it's just building the relationship and knowing and loving each other. I think that's one of the things that, like, always in my mind has made you stand out as, like, a, a former homeschool parent. And, like, helped you weather all of these ideological shifts and the, the conflict that's come with them. Is you, and you touched on this at the beginning, like, you genuinely like your kids. Oh, Yeah. You weren't having us just for the ideology 
and we knew a lot of people who were doing that as like this is what I'm supposed to do not because they actually enjoy children (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I feel like that saved our relationship uh, many times I feel like that made a huge difference and I think that's one of those things that like you don't you didn't I didn't run into that a lot like there were some parents who really did and that that helped but without that piece it makes it really hard to to wait out those transitional moments and that like need for space and that like shifting power differential as children come into adulthood right yeah my parents don't have that so like it's super cool to have watched you be there for eve like while she's explored life and made decisions and like is living how she is and you're still like there and aren't writing her off because my parents disowned me when i wrote a blog post saying maybe homeschooling isn't for everyone and they were like we don't want to talk to you until you apologize for the hurt you caused and i was like i took responsibility for my own lack of math but sure that's fine and so we still it's been 11 years and we still don't talk so it's it's really it's really lovely and impressive to hear from you and your like good understanding about relationships and how they're important because that is not super common Mm. well thank you yeah yeah it helps really does so again about think questions questions related to things that you're good with in terms of bridging you know ideological tension and relationships um we get this question a lot at crhe and i'm sure you run into this a little bit in your circles as more and more people we know come out of fundamentalism in various ways and like evolve um, what advice do you have for people who are divorced and still co-parenting with someone who is either abusive to their kids or is still someone who sees the world in black and white, who's a fundamentalist in the broadest sense? Well, that's a hard one. It is. It's a really hard situation to be in. It is a hard situation to be in, but I guess you have to start with the thought that, okay, if I've come out of that mindset and my partner hasn't that the 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 changes on my side okay that we used to be in agreement about this I can tell you how frustrating it is to try to persuade someone to see the other side of something and have their their zero response on that very difficult I think it's still important to try not to undermine the person you're co-parenting with. Um, If it really crosses the line into um, the kind of abuse that CPS intervenes in, then you may have to consider going there, but you want to really count the cost of that for your kids. And trying to be supportive emotionally to your kids because you know that the the other parent really probably isn't what they're giving their child may be structure there may be some some good things in there but they're probably not going to get the emotional support that they need so when it's your turn to be parenting to offer that without trying not to criticize the other parent unduly the child needs to vent about things. You can just take note. But not like take it as a time to like vent yourself. 
Yeah, right. Well, I'm, and again, you know, that trying not to undermine each other as parents, it was in my own marriage, we reached a, a point of impasse. And even then, I mean, I still try very hard not to undermine or contradict. So, because that parent is also a part of those children, and that parent is part of whether they came from, and that evangelical household is where they started. So they're mm -hmm. going to have to sort that out and figure out what they believe and cope with the changes that came and hopefully wind up with relationship with both parents. The abusiveness, yeah, I mean, it runs the gamut, so... Yeah, right. <laughs> there's only so much you can call CPS on. Well, yeah. exactly. I mean, there and and there's really in America we have a great deal of freedom in in terms of what is classified as acceptable parenting. So, right. So I think the last question, unless Kieran wants to tack any on after this one, um, is what advice do you have for those doing pandemic crisis schooling from home? <laughs> You're not you're not actively homeschooling anymore, although TBD, given the fall, you're working. But like, you you're a veteran of the homeschool times. What advice do you have for people who are just trying this for the first time, even with the support of teachers? Right, right. So I mean, there there's some dilemmas that one of the, I mean, I have known moms who work and homeschool. Very, very few and far between. Very, very difficult. So, especially with younger children, I mean, you're really asking these generally mothers to to compromise their ability to work if they have a job. Um, things I would say is remember your kids are human and you're human. There will be good days. There will be bad days. Learning looks like all sorts of things, okay? Learning to run the washing machine is learning. Learning to fold the towels is learning. Learning to clean up a mess and apologize to your brother or sister is learning. Learning to get over a math problem you can't do and you don't feel like doing and you can't sit in front of this computer anymore, that's all learning. So I think um, even though... Some of these parents may be doing it through the school district. Some of them may be tackling it on their own. There just needs to be a lot of understanding that learning happens beyond pencil and paper and reading and writing and arithmetic. Yeah, I'm not personally like a big fan of unschooling as like a routine, like constant structure or lack of. Yeah. Um, but I, I have been thinking about this a lot, and I keep thinking about, like, that fall that I didn't do any school because I was helping with the twins. Yeah. And I just read the classics. Right. I, like, I don't know. I think it was, like, <laughs> it was probably, like, 70 to 100, like, massive tome, you know, Brit-lit -lit European literature classic novels that I read and that paid off in so many ways and obviously like as a repeat experience that would have like really really messed up my education but having done that for like six months I had to hustle in my senior year to get caught up in some things but 
it didn't have like as much of a significant detrimental effect as you would think. So like, while I wouldn't say like, oh yeah, like let your kids like do whatever for their entire education. All learning is learning always. And because it is, but it's not the same as like being prepared for, you know, a life in a society as a citizen. Um, that fall was not a waste. No. And I mean, your kid may, you may start making lunch together and your kid may discover they really like cooking and, you know, there's measuring and there's colors and there's reading recipes and they're just, there's so many more things that are learning activities than just the textbook stuff that we think about at school. And I think someone who hasn't homeschooled may not have that perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's useful to give you some balance in terms of was it a good school day or was it a bad school day? <laughs> right. I feel like that, that's the wrong question to yeah, ask. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that is not how you evaluate that. Yeah, right. Well, and I'm looking at being out at work and having two kids who are supposed to be getting online, having attendance taken and being in front of their computer for school, probably six hours a day while I'm gone. And I'm just like, oh, my word, how are they going to survive this? Look, I was teaching six hours a day and I barely survived it. So I have no idea. Yeah, well... And I have, like, a yard I can go outside in. Like, other kids don't have that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm talking like I'm a kid. I'm not. But, <laughs> like, I have the, I have the like, energy needs and the attention span of a child. Yeah, <laughs> but you also know how to give yourself breaks. And you know what works. Going outside works mm-hmm. for you. Right. Or digging in the dirt. Or chasing around mm-hmm. with your dog outside. So, um yeah, we'll be interesting to see how this goes this fall. I hope teachers are empowered to strike appropriately. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's really what it comes down to, I think. Mm. But yeah, moms moms are really going to have to get a hit. It's going to be it's going to be pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, I actually was listening to a couple of my coworkers who have younger kids at home talk about how they were going to manage this because they work full time. Yeah. What are they going to do? Um, I think they're going to have to have relatives help them. Yeah. And if you don't have family. Right. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. That's rough. I know in California, we like opened up limited daycare stuff for like families who are essential workers but it's like you can only have 12 people and it's ridiculous and most people like can't have access to that because it's basically if you're like a nurse or a grocery store worker or a doctor or something where like you need to be out but if you can if you can work from home then you don't really have the opportunity to access that child care but your work still needs to happen so it's it's a big struggle out here too yeah absolutely it's hard to take care of a kid and get your work done yeah yeah hmm yeah karen do you have any other questions i don't it's just been super lovely to like finally talk to you eileen after like 
knowing of you adjacently because I've been friends with Eve for so long. So thank you for being on here. Thank you and so much. And talking to us. It's a pleasure it's been, to it's meet also you. Been, it's also been super nice to have someone that we can ask these questions to because these are questions that like I've had and other people have had for so long. So thank you for answering all of these very detailed questions. Welcome. It was yeah, a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was so great to have your mom on. Yeah, that was really nice. I'm so glad she agreed to it. She's always a little gun shy if I asked her to do something like that. She's like, well, what are you going to ask me? you got to give me <laughs> questions in advance. And I was like, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay. You're right. You're, you are right to distrust that. Good job. Yeah. I know, like, if anything, like, truly tragic happens to one of my siblings or I and they get, like, a lot of national press, my mother will be prepared to, like, navigate it. <laughs> yes. Yes. This she knows. Good. She knows how to handle it. That's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, any, like, thoughts? Any reactions you want to, like, wrap up before we Can you? It? Can your mom be my mom instead? I'm sure she would be <laughs> someone. She's, like... She her bandwidth is so maxed out. Like yeah, I've I've talked before about how she's like she and I are good friends, but it feels like she's more of an older sister than like maternal. Because like, they you know when you have ex siblings and x number of crises, like yeah, my life problems like I can solve them, and she doesn't need that, so I can't yeah. really go to her for help. Yeah, but she's a good friend for sure. Yeah. And it's yeah. nice. It is nice. It's it's real it's it's really nice for me to hear from mothers who are like, No, I wouldn't disown my child because they're my child and it's just like, Oh, okay, good parents do exist. That's you know, my, my bar for that is like buried under the ground. So it's nice when, when I see parents who like are like, obviously I would stay with my child, like what? <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting it took me a really long time for me to believe her i think like that she That's just fair. liked kids she's just like i just like my babies like and i like took me a really long time to believe that as like a legitimate reason to just keep having kids but it's yeah. true she really does just like her babies yeah that's super great and like super rare because my parents definitely were the kind who did not like children as much and we're just like well we can't use birth control and we won't like use a condom so what happens happens right well and then there's the flip side of it where i've like talked to my dad's sister or various family friends like old family friends who are just like we were all just so puzzled (laughs) (laughs) because we didn't think he liked kids (laughs) Right. Like everybody's like, your mom we get. Like this makes like this this tracks, but like I don't know that like Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. My mom wanted to be done at like number four and she had ten pregnancies, so oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was not a good good thing for my mom to be doing, honestly. I will add, like, she didn't disclose this in the podcast, but like she mentioned, like, having friends who had fertility problems and, like, watching that happen and feeling, like, you know, that she was able to so she could. And she never, as far as I know, had a miscarriage. Wow. Like, she didn't have problems 
in her pregnancies, they were super smooth. Like, the twins was her hardest pregnancy, and she carried them to, like, 36 weeks, which is super late for twins. Yeah, holy shit. So, historically, like, I mean, obviously pregnancy's not comfortable, but, like, she didn't have complications that, like, added trauma to that experience. Yeah, that was definitely a factor for my mom, because she had preeclampsia with three pregnancies preeclampsia is so rough yeah it's so bad and she only got treated for it for one i mean all you like all you really can do is just like lie down for months that was literally what most of her pregnancies became like right before i ran away yeah it's hard yeah it is hard bodies are rough they are really rough Oh, I'm so glad you came on. That makes me happy. Me too. It's so good. <laughs> I hope I hope our listeners feel, I don't know, some kind of like hope and possibility for their own parents. Like they're definitely like don't don't mistake this. Like we have had a lot of conflict over the years. There have been you know years where like every call ended up with me in tears and you know hanging up abruptly because I couldn't deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a time when she, like, I brought my tarot cards to her house and she threatened to burn them. Like. Right. I've, now I've given her a tarot reading and she's fine. Like, you know, like, we've, we have evolved a whole lot. Right. It's been a process. It's a process. And, yeah. And just having that, like, basic assumption of, like, I like my kids made the process possible. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's really the key, honestly is like when your parents just like you for you for being you and and for existing difference yeah oh my god yeah yeah wow uh uh so good my mom's not on social media or like doesn't have anything we can plug but um if you love her want to communicate that i i will relay that to her she is a hard-working busy woman with four teenagers who don't drive in the house. <laughs> it's a lot. A well, lot is going on. <laughs> and we're going to celebrate her tomorrow. I got like, I got like champagne. And anyway, all that said, um, I love my mom and I'm so glad she came on. It's so nice to share her. <laughs> so good. It was so good. She's so lovely. She's so lovely. And like, I know how much work you put into your relationship with her as well so like some of that is you honestly Uh, thanks (laughs) it's like it it takes it takes patience like it takes like both this assumption of good faith and patience like okay so she's not there but she is interested she's curious and she wants to grow yeah like even if like x thing about what she believes is bigoted like she's still curious and just holding on to that and keeping going, like, really has saved us. Yeah. Like, that's what you need, really. You, you need, like, just someone who is interested in learning. Yeah. And that's that's really who she is. And I think that's actually why she homeschooled as long as she did. Like, she would talk about how much she just liked learning with her kids. Kind of like Rachel Coleman talks about, like, with yeah. her kids. Like, she just, like... She just would get, like, so much more excited about, like, this thing from medieval history that we were learning than any of us were. And she would just, like, do a unit study in it because she wanted to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. She is truly, like, 
an autodidact, like lifelong learner kind of person. And that's nice. That's so good. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us. That was really nice. It was so good. If you are in a position where you're thinking about homeschooling, you should check out CRHE's Home Educators course. We'll link it in the description. We talked about it last time. It's responsiblehomeschooling.org forward slash courses. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be it'll be really helpful to get you like started off on the right foot and to help you feel supported in like this decision that you're making for your family. It's designed to help you kind of develop like your plan of study and like academic benchmarks and work through like what it means to use a curriculum and it's uh it's going to be really really good yeah and there's a whole section that's going to be um dedicated to teaching kids with disabilities you know maintaining an iep at home those kinds of questions so definitely go check go check it out yeah that was so nice I'm I'm just like I I wasn't sure how it was gonna go. It's like unlike most of our episodes where we end like being like I need a shot. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like like I don't. It was. It really was. Uh, So hopefully that was relaxing for all of you listening as well, and hopefully it got uh, some of your questions answered because a lot of mine were, and so that was nice. Yay! Yeah. If you loved this and you're not a member of our Patreon, please join our Patreon and you can hang out with us on Slack. We have a little group Slack going and there's lots of lots of talk about, you know, protests and polyamory and like coping with work in a pandemic and our brains is great. Yeah, yeah. My favorite channel is the Brains Are Fragile Soup channel, which... I mean, you, you coined the term. So. Yes, exactly. So obviously it's great. Um, but if you want to, if you want to like see a bad ADHD, uh, day from me, that's the channel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We have lots of things that happen in there. We get real raw. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, uh, patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. If you want to join us in the slacks, I figured out how to send an automatic email now with the Slack information when people join. So that only took me way longer than it should have. But, you know, it's a pandemic outside. You just quit an all-consuming job that wasn't paying you. So, like, it's fair. That's that's also very true. Yeah. Thank you, Dave, for editing this together, including all the weird parts that we need you to edit out. Thank you to the band The Heavens and their album Sonazo for the music you hear on this episode. Always so grateful to use that. And thank you for listening and being part of this with us. Hope to see you on the Slacks. And we'll talk about Betsy DeVos next time. All right. We love you. Take care of yourselves. Wear your mask. Be safe out there. Write your lawyer's name on your your name and number on your arm and Sharpie, et cetera, et cetera. Bring extra water. In a squeezed hot bottle. Don't use milk to flush out your eyes. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop now. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Love from your queer moms. Bye.